before you be seated, uh, please take your Bibles and turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, and beginning in verse 21. And let us read to the end of the chapter. Hear now God's word and give attention to it accordingly. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt, uh, felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly, And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, uh, Talitha Kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them not that, that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Thus ends a reading of God's word. You may be seated. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for your faithfulness, that each Sunday that we could come and we could gather in your presence to hear your word preached. Lord, we don't come with fear of men with guns outside who might break in at any moment to, to, uh, to stop our assembly, to do us harm, to take away the copy of the word of God that we have. Lord, we are so blessed as a nation. And we thank you, Lord, for that great freedom that we have. But we pray, Lord, as we come today, that there would be a sense of, of weight and, and all in us 
to come and to hear from you. So we pray, Lord, for you to speak to us today. Lord, some of us are, are tired and weary. Some of us, Lord, have maybe other things that maybe we may be tempted to be thinking about. But God, give, help us to give our attention to know that Jesus is here today uh, and here to speak to us. And so we pray that you would bless us, not only with your presence, but with your word as well. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, throughout uh, Mark's gospel, he has been driving home the truth that Jesus is the all-powerful king. That Jesus throws, shows his control throughout Mark's gospel over and over and over. Even from the opening chapters, we saw how Jesus showed his authority over disease and illness. And, and the people were bringing people to him who were sick. And Jesus immediately healed them. We even see how Jesus' authority over sin in chapter 2 is the paralytic was laid down in front of him. And Jesus not only healed him, but he also forgave his sin as well. And, and we saw Christ's power over creation with the calming of the storm. Now, I just imagine, I know we, we had storms roll through here a couple of nights ago. And I don't know about you, but here in Andover, we actually lost electricity and everything. It was quite an intense storm. And I was just thinking... What if I had walked out in the backyard and said, be quiet, and it just got quiet? That would be so cool. But that's exactly what Jesus did, that when he spoke as the creator of all, that the creation had no choice but to obey him. And even with the powers of hell and the demonic man, Jesus cast out those demons, and they were groveling before Jesus begging him to grant their plea because they knew that they had no choice but to do what he said and, and he cast them out. And today we see his power over death itself. Now, you know, they say familiarity breeds contempt. We've been looking at Jesus' power and his kingship over and over and over and over. And it would be so easy for us just to go, yeah, Jesus is all powerful. But I am so thankful for Mark's constant reminder to us of Jesus' position of authority over all things. Because brothers and sisters, we need to hear this. We need to be reminded of this because we live in a world that is a mess. We live in a world that is, that is ever-changing and filled with uncertainty. Afghanistan, uh, the hurricane with Ida, we have... China, who appears to be a rising power. We have small countries experimenting with nuclear uh, weapons. That's just on the international scene. And on at work and what's happening in your home and in your community and, and all those things. And we need a rock on which to place our faith and our trust. Otherwise, there's no hope of peace for us as Christians. And, and if you remember... Mark is writing this to the church in Rome. And so he is writing to them and he says, Let me remind you of who the God is that you come and you worship Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. But you know, I think it's one thing for us to recognize that Jesus is the all-powerful king and that everything is under his control, that he might do whatever he wants. And it is quite another thing to trust Jesus when you come to him for help knowing that he is in control and he doesn't do what you expect him to do. 
You know, we may think we know Jesus. We may think that we're able to discern what it is that Jesus will do in particular circumstances. But how often does Jesus do something different than what we expect? Maybe we've been praying for something for, for, for months or weeks. And, and Jesus hasn't answered it according to what we want. And sometimes that leaves us baffled. Sometimes it leaves us frustrated. Sometimes even angry at God for, for not answering our prayers. And sometimes we're even cynical when it comes to uh, believing in his promises and trusting in him. And sometimes he, he says to us that he loves us, but we are struggling to believe that. And there may be some of you who are here this morning that are wrestling with those very things right now. You know that Jesus is able to address what it is that you are facing, but it appears that he is not willing to do that. At least that's not what it looks like from where you're sitting this morning. And you may be tempted to think that if Jesus loved me, then he would not be doing the things he's doing, or he might be doing something differently. And so with that in mind, I want us to turn to our text today, Mark 5, 21 through 43. And I want you to, to see that this is sort of one of those picture-in-picture picture type events. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. You ever watch the show where they have the main scene that's going on in, in your on your TV? Uh, but then down here in the corner, there's a, another little screen, right? And they're showing some other event, or maybe they're showing this major event from a different perspective. And that's sort of what this is like today in Mark's Gospel. It's sort of this picture-on-picture. Picture. There's this main event that's going on with Jairus' daughter, but there's also this other event that's going on as well that's related. And, and so I want us to look at this account of what I call the tale of two daughters. And what I'm referring here to is not only of obviously Jairus' daughter, but if you look at verse 33, when Jesus heals this woman with the issue of blood, he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. So there's two daughters, two situations, very different and yet very similar. And so let's look at these accounts this morning. And the first thing I want you to see is that sometimes, uh, or Jesus will sometimes ignore your faith. Jesus will sometimes ignore your faith. Now I was telling my wife about my sermon for today and I told her my first point. She's like, really, you want to lead with that? Is your first point that Jesus will ignore your faith? And, and it's not that Jesus really ignores our faith. But sometimes to us, that's what it looks like. You know, that it's, it's how we may feel through the circumstances that we find ourselves in, that Jesus is ignoring our faith. And so let's look at this account. You have a little girl that's deathly ill, and her parents are coming to the end of themselves. And so they, they don't know what to do. And so uh, Jairus, the, the father, he goes and he seeks out Jesus. Now, I remember... And, and I'm a fairly old man, so it's been a lot of years since I've been in seminary. But I remember one of my classmates in seminary uh, actually preaching this text. They used an illustration that I still remember to this day. So I'd say he's a pretty effective preacher. But uh, anyway, he's, he says, imagine if you would that your family was in the car and you were driving down sort of this secluded country road. And, and you're just driving down and everything's fine. And then all of a sudden your daughter in the back begins to have trouble breathing. And, and so much so that you're, you're concerned. And so you pull off the road in this deserted road. You jump out. You get in the back seat. You look. And she's not doing okay. And all of a sudden, you're feeling very helpless. And you're, you're panicking. 
and you look at your cell phone and there's no cell coverage you're so far out and so you begin to look around to see is there a house close by and so you know it's nighttime pretty late and so you run to this house that you see close by and you beat in the door boom 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 and there's no answer and you just continue to beat and there's still no answer and you're feeling the pressure that my daughter could be dying and so you you see another house and so you run to that house and it's dark too but you beat in the door and all of a sudden then you you, you look up and and the upstairs lights come on so you know somebody hears you and you can hear them coming down the stairs and they're muttering something about be patient i'm coming i'm coming but you know brothers and sisters if you were in that situation you would be anything but patient you would be panicking your little girl is dying and and i want you to understand that that most likely there's that sense of urgency that jairus has as, as he comes to Christ. There's that sense of urgency, of panic that takes over when you need to change the circumstances of your life, but you find yourself powerless to do so. And, and like I said, that's most likely exactly where Jairus was. And now, you got to understand, Jairus was an important man in Jewish life, okay? Um, Mark describes him as a ruler in the synagogue, which was a lay position uh, in the local synagogue where he was responsible really for everything from everything from uh, the building maintenance to organizing the worship services you know who would read uh, do the Shabbat reading and and all those kind of things so he was sort of like a, a modern-day combined elder deacon you know type person and so in many ways he was a very important man but for him to come to Jesus uh, really he was putting a lot on the line if you remember, the religious community did not like Jesus. The local Pharisees very much did not like him. As a matter of fact, they've already gotten together with the political leaders of the day to see if they could figure out how to kill him. And, and not only that, but way back here in Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin hears about this teacher. So they actually have sent their envoy to, to this region to sort of check Jesus out. And they have. They're great theologians. You know, they're sort of sizing Jesus up and listening to his teachings and asking him questions and they're not excited about Jesus as well so here he is as a is a religious leader as someone who's prominent in the community sort of putting everything on the line but what choice does he have I mean this is his his child and so he comes to Jesus beside the sea as you can see in verse 21 but but as he gets there he finds this crowd now as you think about crowd I want you to think about Black Friday now, Black Friday, at least what Black Friday used to be, okay, now Black Friday's stretched out over days. You can buy everything online. It's shipped to your house, no big deal. But there was a day and a time where on Black Friday, if you wanted to get those deals, you would line up at 3 a.m. in the morning, you know, crazy people, you know, lining up, and they're all outside this door, and they're just waiting to get in. And it's just like as soon as they open the door, boom, it's like dropping the green flag in a Indianapolis 500 race, you know. Everybody just rushes in, and they're pushing and shoving each other to try to get to what they want and that's what we have here is this crowd that is is around Jesus and you can just imagine Jairus excuse me excuse me let me through I, I gotta get through excuse me I'm sorry you know and he's he makes his way through and and he finds himself finally in front of Jesus and as he's standing there it says in verse 22 that Jairus fell to the ground before Christ just like the demoniac did in the previous account he finds himself before Christ. And, and Mark records it this way. He says in verse 23, 
he's, he's kneeling before Jesus and he implores him earnestly saying, my little girl is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. And so Jairus comes in one sense in humility, really pathetically pleading with all that he had for his daughter. I really like the way uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it. He says, ultimately, it is only the man who feels quite hopeless about himself who really trusts in God. Ultimately, it is only the man who feels quite hopeless about himself who really trusts in God. And that may be where Jairus was at that time. He was, he was hopeless, and so he was turning to Christ. Now, I don't want you to then mistakenly think, though, that Jairus was a man of great faith. The simple fact was, I think, in many ways, he was just desperate. He had heard of Jesus' miracles, probably maybe even seen some, I don't know. And Jesus was his only chance. He, he likely knew that Jesus was able to heal his daughter, but the real question is, would he? Was he, was he willing to do so? And so Jairus, like so many of us in coming to Christ, not so much out of love for Christ, but rather in what his need was, it was his desperation that drove him and gave him a glimmer of hope. Now, I, I want to say this. Often, despair is the prelude of grace. Despair is the prelude of grace. And although Jairus' faith was small, he would experience a great reward. Now, he didn't know that at this point in time, but, but he would. And it's interesting to note that Jairus tells uh, Jesus, the Son of God, what to do and where to go and how the healing must happen. Look at verse 23. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. You know, and, and, and as I was reading that, I was thinking, wow, what a different view that Jairus had from that of the Roman centurion. You know, uh, the centurion came to Jesus and he said, look, I have a servant that needs to be healed. And Jesus is like, okay, let's go. And the centurion, what did he say? No, actually, I'm not even worthy to have you come in my house. You know, besides, I'm a man of authority. I tell people to do, to do something, man, they do it just like that. And so all you have to do, Jesus, is just say the word, and my servant will be made well. And, and, and we read in Matthew 8.10, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following him, Truly I tell you, with no one in all Israel have I found such faith. Well, that was not the faith that, that Jairus had. Jesus, the one who, who spoke in the world came into existence though patiently loved this frightened little creature that he had made who was afraid that he was going to lose his daughter. You know, I was, I was thinking about um, this whole thing of Jairus sort of telling Jesus what to do. Come, you could lay hands on her and, and she'll be made well and sort of laid it all out. And I was really sort of convicted about my own prayer life and as how oftentimes I come to the Lord and, and I tell the Lord, this is my problem, Lord Jesus. Now, just do this, 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 and this, and, and fix it. You know, and I was really convicted about that. I do that oftentimes rather than just pouring out my heart before him and trusting that he knows what is best and how he will answer that. But that can be our temptation sometimes to tell Jesus what to do. But anyway, Jesus 
immediately sets out to go with Jairus. And, and we read in verse 24 that the huge crowd thronged about him. In other words, the people crowded around Jesus so much that they really left little room for them to get through. So Jesus and Jairus are really sort of fighting their way through this crowd. And they're really not moving much faster than the crowd is moving because they're pressing in so much around them. Sort of reminds me of an ambulance that's trying to get to the hospital with a patient and the traffic is so heavy. Maybe you've seen this, uh, but the, the, the ambulance almost can't move. They're just like trying to just keep moving just a little bit in and out of traffic to try to get going, but they can't go very fast. And that's a lot like how it was. And, and so you can just imagine how much the panic in Jairus's heart must have been as he was thinking about every moment could count with this little girl. And yet they were sort of stuck in this crowd. Well, unbeknown to Jairus, there's another desperate soul in the crowd. Now, this is the big picture, what we've been looking at. Now, we get to see the little picture-in-picture, picture, the little one that's here. In verse 25 through 34, where Jesus deals with the woman. And while Jesus and Jairus are fighting their way through the crowd, a woman with a condition of blood flowing for 12 years came up behind Jesus, and he, she touched his cloak thinking that if she could only touch his clothes, then she would be healed. And at the moment she did touch Jesus' clothes, the power of Jesus that calmed the sea, the power that drove out the demons out of this man, caused her bleeding to stop. Now, it may be hard for us to really truly grasp what this means to her, uh, to a woman who's been suffering for 12 years. We could only imagine. But for 12 years of her life, and her dignity and in and, and her spiritual standing, she has been consumed with this disease. Everything has been about this disease. She has gone to doctor after doctor after doctor. She has spent everything that she has. And she now, I'm sure, is probably poor. And yet she is no better, it says. It said that she had suffered under the hand of, of many doctors. Now... Just to give you a point of reference here, think about it this way. On the same year that Jairus' daughter was born, this woman found out she had this issue of blood. And she's been battling that disease ever since that little girl has been alive. And so physically, she has suffered under many doctors. But spiritually... You know that God in, in His law ordains that people with discharges, whether that be discharges with blood or, or pus or other bodily fluids, were to be regarded as unclean. And so these people were to be a perpetual living illustration, really, of sin. What sin is and what it does to people. How sin makes you dirty and contagious. And so they are sources of uncleanness. So, you know, even a woman who has, during her monthly cycle, would be considered unclean according to the law of God. Everything she touched was unclean. If she sat somewhere, she was unclean until the, the flow of her blood stopped and, uh, and she took the ceremonial bath that she needed to be clean. And of course, this woman was perpetually unclean for over a decade because of her flow of blood, which means, which means she was banned from the company of her friends. She couldn't be around her friends because she was unclean. Uh, even the embrace of her husband, if she was married, we don't know that, but if she were, 
she couldn't embrace her husband. The worship of God in her temple was off limits to her. She, she was not around God's people for years. And so spiritually and socially, she was isolated and was alone. And as a matter of fact, to be honest with you, she should never have been there with that crowd that day. But she was so desperate to get close to Jesus. Because if she ever hoped to be healed, she needed to get close to Jesus. And praise God, she was healed. We read in verse 28. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? Now, to this, the disciples answered this way, and this is a very loose translation. Are you serious? You're in a Black Friday crowd. People are pushing all around you, and you're asking me, Who touched me? At that point, though, Jesus stops and he looks around to see who touched him. Now, imagine this from Jairus' point of view. They're, they're pushing their way through this crowd, trying to get through. They're only moving at a snail's pace. And then all of a sudden, as, as Jairus is pushing through, you know, maybe Jesus is behind him. I don't know. But Jesus stops and Jairus is looking around going, no, 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 no. Let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. You know, we, we got to keep us going in the same direction. Jesus is stopping. And he's looking around to see who touched him. And Jesus takes the time to walk, to, to talk to this woman. Now, why is that so important? I mean, as I was reading this story, I thought, well, Lord, she's healed. It's good. You know, I'm sure that's probably what Jairus was thinking. You know, if she was healed, we can just move on. But the text while it doesn't tell us specifically why Jesus stopped to talk with this woman, I think Sinclair Ferguson hit the nail on the head when he said, first of all, Jesus <coughs> stopped because he wanted to teach Jairus a lesson, which we're going to look at in just a minute. But also, he wanted to explain to the woman why she was healed. You see, uh, Jesus wasn't content that the woman's body was healed. He wanted to make her faith clear and strong. She had received Christ's work into her life, and as Sinclair Ferguson said, she now needed his word. She got his work, but now she needed his word so that her faith could grow. And so we read in verse 33, the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. You see, the woman thought that if I could just touch Jesus, I could be healed. It's interesting to see some commentators thinking she might have been sort of superstitious. That she was just thinking, that's the way that I would be healed. But Jesus wanted her to see that it was her faith that had made her well. It was not because she had come near enough to Jesus and that touched Jesus that healed her. But she had trusted in him that he could cure her. And he did. Of course, her faith, uh, in one sense, didn't heal her. Uh, Jesus did. Okay, and I want to make that clarification. Okay, I'm not trying to contradict what the text says, because Jesus said, your faith has made you well. But I think sometimes Christians misread that. And some churches 
will teach that that, that faith component is the most important. And, and they'll and even to the point where it's like everyone's focus in that church is on their faith and how well is my faith doing? Am I do I have enough faith to be healed? Do I have enough faith to trust the Lord for my job? Do do have I named it and claimed it correctly so that I can have it? And and that's a misunderstanding about what Jesus is saying. I mean, uh, it's they forget sometimes that the object of the faith is what's most important. And this woman's faith was in Jesus, that he could heal her. Think of it this way. Imagine that you're on a boat and you're coming in to shore and you're coming up to the pier. And so you reach out your hand and, and, and you, you pull. Now, what are you doing when you're doing that? Are, are you pulling the pier to yourself? Now, kids, you say, no, Pastor Rick, that's silly. You don't pull the pier to yourself. That's not the way it works. You, you're really pulling yourself to the pier. Well, it's, it's the same way in one sense in regards to our faith. Is your faith pulling God to you? Is it making God do what you want? Or is um, faith doesn't work that way, though. Faith doesn't pull God downwards towards us to do our bidding. Rather, it pulls us upward to God to receive what he has from us. And in a sense, we are resting and we are trusting in him. We're placing our hope in him. And, and the woman, this woman in faith, reached out to Jesus and he touched him. And, and there's a sense in which we need to understand that it's a never a vain thing to reach out to Jesus in faith. Because when we reach out to Jesus in faith, he never ignores us. Um, but Jesus is not content to simply meet this woman's need. He's not content for us even just to meet our needs where we are. And he wants to connect with our soul. He wants you to know him as he is. He wants you to strengthen your faith. He wants to reveal things to you about himself that you may have never experienced. And I tell you that, brothers and sisters, because when we get into times when we are praying things, whether it's we're praying for our kids, whether we're praying for uh, you know some other need that is very dear to our heart, and Jesus doesn't answer those things, we may think that God doesn't love us. But the reality is God loves us so much. He wants to not only meet the need that we have, but he wants us to know him as he is. And so sometimes he makes us wait so that we can actually know him as he is. Now, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, you know, I, I talked about earlier about... Um, Jesus is not content simply to, to meet their needs. He wants to reveal who he is. Why well, wouldn't be surprised if Jairus felt that Jesus was ignoring his need as he's standing there and Jesus is conversing with this woman, much like we do when our faith is, is faltering. And when we question, we know God is able, but we wonder if he is willing. And the answer is yes, he is very willing, but he may want to show us more than what we're looking for. And it's not that Jesus is ignoring our faith, Rather, Jesus seeks to have our faith grow. And that takes us to our second point. Jesus will grow your faith. In verses 35 through 37, he says, While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who, say, some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? You know, in just that instant, the growing flame of Jairus' hope is snuffed out. Ultimately, it is only the man who feels quite hopeless about himself who really trusts in God. 
But I will tell you, probably at that moment in time, Jairus was struggling. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that this brother was, was struggling. And he may have felt much like we oftentimes feel when Jesus doesn't act in the way that we think he ought to act. And we are baffled and we are frustrated and we are angry. I don't know what was going on in, in Jairus' mind. But I want you to know that this is one of the moments that not only did he, he feel like his faith was being snuffed out. But I want you to know that it was at that very moment that Jesus was there walking with him. Look at verse 36. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Now, Jairus already believed Jesus, okay? But Jesus wanted him to believe him in a different way. Um, uh, in a different way. That's not really the way I want to put that. He wants, he wants his faith to grow because he wants um, Jairus to see himself, to see Jesus as he is. You know, it's one thing to believe that Jesus can heal your daughter when she's sick. And that's what Jairus believed, that Jesus could heal her. But then when she died, that's it. There's no more. And Jesus is basically saying to him, Oh no, I can do so much more than that. I actually can bring her back to life. And I want you to believe. Okay, I want you to commit yourself. Okay, and I want you to act upon that reality that I can do more than just heal your daughter. And so he says to him, don't doubt, but believe. It, it sort of reminds me of the, the movie Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. You remember towards the end of the movie where Indiana Jones is facing this chasm and his father has been shot and wounded and he's trying to get to him and he has this clue. But there's this chasm between him and the other side and there's a scene where he takes his foot and he like just steps forward into the chasm. There, there, there's nothing there. There appears to be nothing there but a chasm. But he trusts that there's something there because of the clue that he's repeating over and over and over in his head. And Jesus wants Jairus to commit in that sense, to act upon what he said, trusting Jesus, even with his daughter's life. It's an important lesson, brothers and sisters, about suffering that we all need to learn, that God's providence is always instructive. In other words, the way that God brings about all the things that happen in our lives are meant to instruct us. They are meant to teach us. They are meant to reveal something to us about who God is. There is always a purpose to what God does. And it's in those times that Jesus draws near to us to, to know Him in a way that we may not otherwise, to strengthen our faith so that we might trust Him more and know Him more intimately. And so Jesus goes with Jairus uh, to his house. And we oftentimes are like Jairus. We're, we're limited in what we know about God and think that we can do, but we need to trust Jesus as he seeks to cause our faith to grow. But then also, finally, we see that Jesus will test your faith, verses 38 through 43. And so Jesus and Jairus, they arrive at the house, and Jairus' faith, I'm sure, was challenged. As he walks into the house, uh, everything that he sees, everything that he hears, all that he experiences informs him that his daughter is truly dead. 
and that she will stay dead. There's commotion. There's professional mourners who are there who are wailing and, and crying out. But here again, even in that time when he could be tempted to doubt and to worry, you know, uh, Jesus comes in. Um, and Jesus says in verse 39, And when they entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Now, Peter was one of those. Peter, James, and John were the three that were with Jesus. And then, of course, the parents. And they went into where the body was. Now, think about this. Peter was Mark's primary source in writing his gospel. And so Peter would have been an eyewitness to this and would have told Mark. And they went all into where the little girl was lying dead. And Jesus reaches out. He takes the little girl's hand. And he said, Talitha kumai. Little girl arise. In other words, he was saying to her, get up. These are words that her mother could have easily just probably spoke to her many times when she went to get her up out of bed in the morning. Kids, don't your parents sometimes come and say, kids, get out of bed. Let's go. Let's go get dressed. Let's eat breakfast. Let's go. And they sort of get you to rally, get you up and get you going. And that's what mother, she could have spoken to that little girl. But Jesus speaks two sovereign words and death must obey and release this little girl back to her parents. Death has no choice because the sovereign king has spoken and death must obey. And we read, and immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement and he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. You know, as you, you think about those words about her resurrection, her being brought back to life, it reminds you of Revelation 1, 17 and 18. Revelation 1, 17 and 18, where John records these words. He goes, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me. He is Jesus, by the way. He laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. I, I read the story of a woman who was talking to a preacher, and she quoted those words, and she said to the preacher, she said, if Jesus has the keys to death and Hades, then the first thing that I'll see when I walk through the door of death is Jesus. He's the first person I'll see. And we need to be reminded of that, brothers and sisters. That's why that story is here, to, to encourage us, to bring joy and faith and hope into our hearts, to give us courage and to shed abroad in, in our soul the hope that we have only in Jesus Christ. For Christ loves you, and, and he takes you through those dark times to show you who he is. He is with you each step of the way. You can commit to him. You can act on his promises. You can... Trust Him, even in those times where you know He is able to do things, but you just don't know what His plan is or what He is going to do. And then one day, when you face that ultimate test, like our brother Dennis Turner did, as he faced death, the first face that you'll see, the first hand 
that will take hold of you, the first voice that you will hear on the other side of death will be his. The sovereign, omnipotent, powerful Lord Jesus Christ, who it appears sometimes ignores our faith, although he doesn't. The Lord who seeks to grow our faith and the Lord who tests our faith will receive you into his eternal reward because he is a good and a faithful, powerful king. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, as we as we come this morning and reflect upon the word that was preached to us, what a, what a touching account of your great love and compassion for your creation, for your people, Lord, for those who are suffering, those who are going through great difficulty, those, Lord, that you want to know you, not as just the God who heals, but the God who can raise the dead. Lord, there may be those that are here today who are struggling because we have ideas of who you are, God, and, and you're not operating the way that we think and we're wrestling and we're struggling in our faith. And yet, in the background, you are so loving. You're so compassionate. You're so patient, Lord, to help us in our faith and those things that we're wrestling with. Help us, Lord, as we, we trust you, as, as we rest in you. Give us Give us strength. Speak the word, Lord, when we're, we're tempted to doubt, when Satan is whispering his lies into our ears, much like those men who bring the news to say, your daughter's dead, it's over, forget it. Let us have faith. Let us listen to you, not listen to the voice of Satan, and trust you, knowing that you are good, that you are all-powerful, and you are willing. And Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us as your people. Lord, if there's someone that's listening today who does not know you, pray, God, that you would open their hearts, open their eyes to see you for who you are and to receive you by faith, to, to admit, recognize their sin, to turn to that and look to you, O oh God, for hope. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.